Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. As I said on the last podcast, I'm a little bit behind on loading these things up because I've been out of town for a couple of weekends, uh, getting to travel around various vineyards, Campbellsville, Kentucky, Gadsden, Alabama, then the National uh, International Vineyard Conference up in Columbus, Ohio, where we got to experience what God is doing in the vineyard from all around the world. So good times. And while I was gone, uh, we had a few people from our teaching team take over. So this is a message by Penny Murray. So let's head to North Shore Vineyard in the talk. Thanks for listening. have been on this epic summer road trip. I think they've been in the car for, what, almost two weeks now? They've been gone? Yeah. Um, I hope he comes back rested. I'm, I'm a little concerned. We talked yesterday, and, and it sounds like they've had quite a Griswold adventure. They've been uh, up in Columbus, Ohio, for the international Vineyard conference, vineyard people from all over the world were gathered there. I saw some uh, some streaming on Facebook, looked pretty cool. And then uh, I think this weekend he's in Alabama at a worship retreat. So we're excited. Uh, we want them to be rested and get some breaks from us because I'm sure we're pretty frustrating to be around. Um, we're messy sheep. So my name is Penny. If we haven't met, I'm part of the teaching team here. I see a lot of new faces recently. So if we haven't met, come say hi. I'd love to meet you, and we are excited, excited to have you here. The, um, the past few weeks, we have been exploring what it means to go on an inner journey with God and work through how our lives can be transformed as we deal with the things in our lives that just seem to entrap us. And this has got me thinking a lot about a word, and that word is repentance. I uh, was in the back, and Josh walks up, and he said, so what are you, what are you talking about? And I almost hesitated. I'm like, oh, I don't want to say it, repentance. And he said, yeah, I'm out of here. In fact, I, I don't see him here anymore. Um, but you know, he and I have similar backgrounds, so I, I understand why he left. And uh, it's all good, Josh. I forgive you. Um, All through the Gospels, we hear this word. Over and over again, we hear, repent for the kingdom of God is near. But it's not really a word that we hear outside of a religious context. And to be honest, um, this word carries a lot of heavy baggage for me. It seems to contain within it an implicit threat. It conjures up images of judgmental, holier-than-thou people on the side of the road with big signs, you know, repent, turn, or burn. (laughs) 
I, I just picture condemnation and fear and rage swirling around the word, suffocating any life out of it. I think that there are things that often start out as good and inspiring and life-giving, and then they just get twisted and deformed and burdened down until it no longer resembles what it once was. And I think that's what's happened with the word repentance. The heart of the word has been lost. It's been left behind somewhere back there along the way. And I want us to see today if we can go back and if we can reclaim this word, because I think it's a crucial part of our journey with God and with each other. But let me tell you what I think about when I hear the word repentance. When I was 12 years old, my church had one of those week-long summer revivals. Has anyone ever been to one of these things? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the very first night of the revival was youth night. And the church decided we are going to give out free pizza to any teenager who shows up. And it worked. I grew up in a very small town, so we we just didn't have anything to do on a Friday night. And, I, I mean, I invited everyone I knew because I wanted my friends to experience God's love in their life the way I had. So I was, I was all pumped up about this event. And my church, man, we took this seriously. We brought in a professional evangelist, you know, big time. This, this guy was like, I don't know, it's a big deal in the evangelism world. And we were subjected to what I think of as terror evangelism. <laughs> he talked about your depravity and your sinfulness. And he talked about a God of judgment. And he talked a lot about the word repentance. And we were told if we had not repented and trusted in Jesus, then we were left facing this angry, vengeful God. And so the man asked, had you really repented? I mean, really. Sure, you may think that you've repented, right? But did you? Have, um, has anyone committed any sins recently? <laughs> oh, you have? Wow, that doesn't sound like you've actually repented then. So <clears throat> here's what you need to do. You need to come forward. You need to confess your sins. You need to pray a prayer of repentance. Trust in Jesus so that you can avoid facing this very angry God who's waiting for you. <clears throat> So, uh, I I think back on my 12-year-old self, and I can remember just feeling confused, terrified, uncertain of my own worth now, and really uncertain of God's love for me. So, I came forward with everyone else who had the literal hell scared out of them. (laughs) I mean, better, better to confess and pray, right? And... I can remember thinking, okay, what have I done in my 12 years that is so terrible that God cannot stand the sight of me the way this man is describing? And the next day, I woke up, and I can remember just thinking, something is wrong with this. Um, I felt manipulated. I felt I had been threatened. The whole thing just seemed off 
Everything about this word repentance seemed to center on behavior modification, manipulation, and fear. And the word had become like a chain around my neck, just cutting off oxygen and leaving me with this deep anxiety about my connection to God and my own worth. So what helped me to begin recovering this word was when I came across the Hebrew understanding. Now, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva, and it means to turn or return. So in the Hebrew mind, teshuva is when God shines his light down on you, and you see there's a better path. It's a whole lot better than the one you're on. And so you step onto the path. And in that moment, you're actually filled with joy because you've experienced something, something bigger than yourself. You've experienced this outpouring of grace and love. You have received a gift, and you've encountered God. You've been illuminated. You can see something, and you you just couldn't see it before. He's shined his light down, and you step into it. The writer Frederick Beekner he echoes this idea, and he says that to repent is to actually come to your senses. It's not so much something that you do as it is something that actually happens to you. And true repentance spends less time looking to the past and saying, I'm sorry, than it is looking to the future and saying, wow. Repentance is when we're drawn into the future of God's great wow, which is a whole lot better than what I was handed. Teshuva also includes this idea of letting go of your arrogance, your waywardness, and your sinfulness and placing your trust in God. Now, a few weeks ago, when Crispin began this series, he said that sin is actually the destructive ways we handle our pain. Another way that I understand sin is the disruption of shalom. Now, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and it's this big, expansive understanding of peace. It's health and wholeness and harmony between us and God, within our own self, between each other, and with all of creation. Now, we have all been impacted by the disruption of shalom, We've all experienced pain and suffering from the harmful ways that humans react to their own pain and suffering. We've all been hurt. We've all experienced loss. And then we respond to that pain in ways that bring more suffering into the world. We just continue the cycle of disrupting the shalom. And so teshuva is when we begin to unclench, we let go of all these destructive ways that we deal with our pain, and we begin to open ourselves up to God. Teshuva is also the gesture of returning to God, of going home, of returning to our original source. So it's this idea of returning to God, but this requires that we repent of our image of God. What I find so mesmerizing about the Gospels is how we just watch Jesus over and over again respond to people with love and mercy and compassion and healing and inclusion. And if 
if Jesus is the true and fullest revelation we have of God, if Jesus is actually the word of God, then we can trust this God. Repenting of our image of God is realizing that in the face of our brokenness, God responds not with threats, but with unconditional love. Unconditional love and radical acceptance must be the very first words or we won't listen to anything else. So it's crucial that we picture God in this way. Only unconditional love will create the safety and the trust that we need to open our lives up to him. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that God seduces us all into an economy of grace by loving us in spite of ourselves, in the very places we will not, dare not, or cannot love ourselves. God does not love us if we change. He loves us so that we can change. Only love affects true inner transformation, not duress, not guilt, not shunning, and not social pressure. So, This idea of returning home into our source includes returning to who God created us to be, which means we also have to repent of our image of humanity. Because for way too long, repentance has been about beating yourself up. It's been about shame, and it's been about avoiding punishment. Many of us seem to think repentance is when we moan, you know, on and on to God about how unworthy we are and how depraved and horrible and worthless and stinky we are. But teshuva, if it's about returning home, about going back, then leading people to repentance means telling them who they are. And we were made in the image of a good God. We were made to reflect this God on the earth, reflect his love, his creativity, his mercy, his self-sacrifice, his care for all creation. We were made to be these flesh and blood containers of God's love. Yes, we have fallen away from who we've been created to be. We have participated in the disruption of shalom. We have lived out of harmony with God, with our own hearts, with each other in creation. And yes, we have dealt with our pain in very destructive ways. But repentance is recognizing who God is, who we were made to be, and then allowing him to come in and begin that process of restoring and redeeming us back to harmony with him. Now, the rabbis also tell us that teshuva is the means of the world's salvation. To fully return to God would repair all of creation. So let's take this idea and let's mash it up with how we understand God's work through Christ in the world. If sin is the disruption of shalom, then the gospel is the restoration of shalom. Ephesians tells us how God in Christ, he's bringing unity to all things. Matthew talks about the renewal of all things. Acts speaks of the restoration of all things. And Colossians, the reconciliation of all things. The gospel, this good news that we keep talking about, is the joyous 
announcement of God's kingdom, which is the reconciling, the restoring, and the renewing of all things. So when we hear throughout the gospel, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's around you. It's within you. It's among you. What is being said to us is, look, turn this way. God is near. He's here. He's moved into our neighborhood, as Crispin says over and over again. And he is reconciling, restoring, renewing, redeeming all things. And you are invited to come be a part of this. We don't repent to barter with God or try to get him to calm down and not be so angry. And we don't repent so that we can evacuate off to somewhere else. We repent so that we can participate, celebrate, experience, and partner with what God is doing right here and right now. So how do we repent? What what does that look like in action? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story of these two men who go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee walks into the temple, and he poses, and he begins to pray, and he says, Oh, God, thank you for not making me like other people. I'm so glad I'm not like the adulterers and the robbers and the thieves and like that tax collector over there. Oh, thank you, Father God. But then we see the tax collector in the story is sitting in the shadows, his face in his hands, and he prays, Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that it's the tax collector who goes home healed. And he says that, You can walk around with your nose up in the air, but you are going to fall flat on your face. Or you can be content with naming who you are, really owning it, and then you're going to become more. We can stay in denial. We can keep judging other people. We can inflate our own egos only to have things come crashing down. Or we can actually start to admit the truth and start to transform. Repentance requires honest exposure of the truth, accountability, and responsibility for what's actually happened. So all through the series, we have been talking about the steps of the recovery process. Step five of the process says this takes place at three levels. It's when we admit to God, to ourselves, and to others, the exact nature of our wrongs. Confession is when we take off the mask, and it's when we say to God, I'm not going to hide this from you. You already know. It's when we stop lying to ourselves, and we stop pretending, and we sit in the tension and begin to name the things that entrap us. And confession is when we start to allow other people into our lives because we need each other. We need to experience this unconditional love, not theoretically, not as a sweet, nice idea. We need to experience in flesh and blood reality. So if we want real change, if we want to find healing, it's not going to happen by staying in denial. We have to face the truth.
I once heard someone compare uh, confession to vomit. It smells. It may get on the front of your shirt. But you're going to feel better. You're going to feel cleansed when you're done. We don't confess to try and achieve God's love. Confession, it's actually the place where we encounter his love. And it's in being loved that we begin the process of recovery. James 5.15 says to confess your sins one to another, pray for another, and this will cure you. Okay? So how, how exactly does it begin to cure us? You cannot heal what you cannot acknowledge. Because if you don't, it's going to remain in control of you and it's going to continue to harm you and harm those around you. We carry so much inside of us. Fears, doubts, anger, worries, pain, insecurities, addictions, compulsions, disappointments. It's all cooped up inside. And I think we were all taught at some point to just take a lid, cram it down, hide it away, and then let's just distract ourselves so we don't have to face what's inside of us. But when we take the lid off, And we sit down with someone that we can trust. And we finally begin to name the things that are eating away at us, draining us, just crippling us. When we bring these things out into the open and we expose them to the light, when we begin to admit to God and to ourselves and to other human beings all of these things that we cling to trying to numb our own pain. It's in that moment that it begins to remove the power that it has over us. I want to close today just by taking a few moments uh, to bow our heads. And I'm going to ask just a few questions, and I want to give you some time just to pray over them and wrestle with them. And we'll just take a few moments of silence, and then I'll pray to close us out. Question number one. What do you find most difficult to acknowledge about yourself? Is there anything in your life that weighs you down that you want to be set free from? Can you bring this to God? How does your image of God impact your ability to open up to him?
is there a person in your life that you can be vulnerable with and talk to about the things you've been containing and hiding inside? And is there anything you would like to have someone pray with you about this morning? And if there is, uh, our prayer team is here. God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you do not abandon us and that you are always present most especially so in our brokenness and our suffering. God, I ask that we all encounter you, that you help us to open up and trust you, and God, that you would be active and present in each of us. God, I thank you for this community And most of all, I thank you for the movement of your spirit within the relationships here. I've experienced great love and mercy and compassion from this church. Please be with us. Please help us to grow in love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay, guys, thank you. If, uh, if anyone does need some prayer this morning, feel free to come up, and, you know, we've, we've, we've got people for that. So y'all, y'all have a good week, and Crispin will be back next Sunday. So thank you.